Two weeks ago, I started talking to you about spiritual authority, and we based everything I'm saying so far on the story of the centurion with Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. So we're going to start there again this morning. Matthew 8, 5 to 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to this one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So two weeks ago, I read this story to you, and I defined Jesus' spiritual authority, that the centurion that Jesus says has the greatest faith of anybody he ever ran into the centurion understands that Jesus has authority, not just Holy Spirit power to heal, but he has the authority to command it. He doesn't even have to go do some incantation and have a bunch of secret herbs and potions. And he just says, I understand. I have authority too, and you just speak it and your servants will do it. So this centurion has a spiritual worldview. He understands that Jesus has servants and soldiers like he does. And we talked about that that's the angels and it's supposed to be us. And this centurion says, I understand how this works. You say jump and your people say how high. Jesus says, this is the greatest faith I've ever seen. This is amazing. And Jesus just speaks and it happens. And then he gave us the authority of his name to pray. And he said, if you speak to the mountain, it will be thrown into the sea. You have access to the authority to pray for healing. You have authority over demons. You have authority to bring my name into situations. You have authority to bring salvation. You have authoritative access to the throne of God. When you pray in my name, God will give you whatever you ask. That was all two weeks ago. So I want spiritual authority. I don't want my prayers to be just some rambling religious exercise, blah, 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 yada, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. I want things to happen when I pray. And I hope you do too. I hope that you want to see miracles and that you want to accurately represent Jesus in your everyday life. Jesus says this guy has the greatest faith he ever ran into. The centurion, you would expect him to say, I have authority. But that's not what he says. He says, I am under authority, so I have people under me. And Jesus says that's the greatest faith because all authority comes from relationship with an authority because none of us are an authority. We just have authority. And the basic example of that is the police officer with a badge. The man or woman behind the badge is nobody special. They're just another human being. But because they are in relationship with the authority, they have authority. They can be fired. They can be put into prison if they violate the rules of the authority. But when they are in good standing with the county sheriff or the FBI or the federal government or the state government, they can carry that badge and they have authority. And it's the same with us and Jesus. 
We don't have any authority on our own. We're not anything special. But when we're in good relationship with Jesus, we have spiritual authority to pray and things should happen. Yes. Amen. 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 Authority comes from relationship and specifically authority comes from being under someone else's authority. We've got to be in good standing with the authority we represent. So like a deputy with a sheriff or a lieutenant under a captain, we've got to be under Jesus' kingship in order to have authority in our life. And as long as we're in good standing with Jesus, then we have authority to pray and to ask and have access to God. It's the relationship that I'm under that creates my authority, not the people that I'm responsible for or leading. That's backwards from everything American politics and government says. We think we pick the president and we put him over us. That's not true. The Constitution gives him the authority. We just get to pick who has the authority. You don't have authority from the people under you. The supervisor or manager at work is not the supervisor or the manager because of the people that they're supervising or managing. They're the supervisor or manager because of the boss. Because the boss picked them. So we get authority by being under authority, and that's what the centurion said, and that's what it made Jesus marvel. It says that he understood that. Because we look at that so backward in America, we're like, well, we pick our authorities, and the authority comes from the people. No, the authority does not come from the people. It comes from the law. And we are submitted to both. We just get to participate in the process. It's the authority that you are under that gives you authority. We also talked about Jesus having keys. Jesus says in Revelation, I have the keys of death in Hades. And he says to the apostles in Matthew 16, I give you the keys to the kingdom. And keys represent authority and access and control. Because if I have a key or you have a key to some building or a jail cell or whatever it is, a vehicle, you have access to that for yourself. You also get to choose who else to let in and out. And you get to choose who to lock up. The authority has the keys, and whoever the authority trusts have the keys. Jesus says, I give you the keys. Actually, in the ancient world, in Bible times, the king would have never carried a key. Some steward would have run ahead of the king and unlocked all the gates and doors ahead of him. And then he can come in to flower petals and ticker tape and trumpets blowing and come and steal the show. It's just a little side rabbit trail, but for those of you who like Uh, consider yourselves worshipers and intercessors. This is what it means when the Bible says, prepare the way of the Lord. You have the keys to the kingdom, not for your own sake, but so you can prepare the way of the Lord. So you can go and unlock the doors so that he can show up and steal the show. All right, it's what the Bible means when it says, lift up your heads, O you gates, that the king of glory may come in. Swing wide, you heavenly gates. All those verses about opening the doors and gates, preparing the way of the Lord, That's what this is, is that we are stewards of the key, not so that we can get in and out and do whatever we want, but so that we can make way for the parade that is Jesus. So we set in intercession and in worship, we set the environment so Jesus can show up and do what he wants to do in the meeting. But in our world, we don't have kings and all that. Your employer, somebody is in charge of the keys to the building, and there may be several somebodies who are authorized to have a key to... The whole building, some people have keys to some of the doors, and uh, then other people have none. And so you understand how this works. But there are those who need access, and they're trusted by the authorities to have a door key and maybe can get in and out or whatever. But 
But there's one type of person that has all the keys. Who do you know that had a bigger ball of keys on his belt than your school janitor? I mean, if you're the janitor, you have all the keys. All the keys. My, my school janitor's key ring was bigger than an apple. It was just <laughs> a ball of tinkling keys. And you always knew where he was because you could hear him. Cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. So... Probably most of you know who I'm talking about. The janitor has all the keys. Since you can't be the king of kings, that position is already taken. If you want a key to every door in the spirit, if you want spiritual authority, if you want keys to open doors, you make yourself the lowest servant. You make yourself the one that will clean any toilet and mop any floor and clean up all the mess. And that will get you the key to every door. Matthew 20. Jesus says, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Matthew 23, Jesus says, he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And in Matthew 18, verses 1 to 4, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humility is the highest rank in Jesus' kingdom. Humility doesn't mean humiliation. It means I put myself low. It doesn't mean you put yourself down. It means I put myself low. I give up my priorities and my agenda and I'm here to serve. Whatever needs done, I'll do it. All right. Humility is the highest rank in the kingdom of heaven. If you want the keys, if you want authority in your prayers, if you want Jesus to trust you with access, then make yourself the lowest. When we're under authority, the centurion said, I am under authority just like you, Jesus. That's amazing that he doesn't just say, I have authority. He says, I am under authority, so I have authority over the men under me. And he recognizes that's true of Jesus also. Jesus, he's not talking about Jesus' Holy Spirit power to do the miracle. He's talking about Jesus' authority. He is under the authority of God, so he has authority over angels. In any kingdom or military or law enforcement sort of situation where there is authority, there is rank, and there is a chain of command. And it isn't just the guy at the top and you. There's all sorts of people in between. And all authority is based on relationship. So you have to have good relationship with everybody up and down the chain of command or the authority doesn't get to you. Broken relationship disrupts the chain of command. Let me say it again. Broken relationship disrupts the chain of command. Seven times in the New Testament, God quotes the Old Testament from the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. It is the most repeated verse in the New Testament from the Old Testament. Honor your father and mother. Why does God say honor your father and mother? So that your life will go well and I can bless you. It isn't God here and you here. Oh, yeah, God and I are cool. I've confessed my sins and I worship God and I pray and God and I are cool. If you're not cool with dad, 
God is here. I love you. I want to bless you. I want to take care of you. But you must honor your dad or I can't. Because broken relationship disrupts the chain of command. You have to treat mom right. Or you break your access to the authority. Do you see it? A woman could think she's on good terms with Jesus, but if her heart is not on good terms with her husband, she's not on good terms with Jesus. Guys, 1 Peter 2 says, if you're not treating your wife right, your prayers are useless. Not God won't answer them. says you are useless. You're wasting your time praying if you're not treating your wife right. Broken relationship all the way up and down the chain of command disrupts the authority. If you want power, if you want authority, if you want to accurately represent Jesus, we have to be in good relationship with everybody above us and under us. We're making ourselves the servant of all so that we have authority with Jesus and access to God. We don't have that unless... It's clear. Relationships are clean all the way up and down. Romans 13, 1 and 2. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Notice that God doesn't say, obey authority. He says, submit to authority. There's a difference. Submission is a higher calling than obedience. Using dictionary.com and thesaurus.com, I come up with this definition of submission. To yield or defer to the authority of another of higher rank. Synonyms are appeasement, bowing, deference, docility, which means peacefulness, surrender, yield, back down, pliability, which means flexibility. God says everyone must submit to the governing authorities. Submission is a higher calling than obedience. It's a heart attitude where I give place to somebody else recognizing they're in charge of me in this area. Because you all know we can obey without submitting. Oh, we can do what we told, but there's a fire burning down inside. And I... Maybe I'll, maybe I'll sit down if you tell me to, but on the inside, I'm standing up. Yep. Hello? You can be a really obedient wife or a faithful employee or a faithful church member, but be full of rebellion and unforgiveness and offense. Submission is peaceful, pliability, backed down, flexibility. When an authority comes into our life, it provokes a response out of us. And I want to use the police officer example again. You all know when you see a cop car, you have a reaction. Uh-huh. You do. It's instant fear and look down at the speedometer and make sure that I'm not speeding. Do I have my seatbelt on? Throw the phone down. Don't you, don't you dare drive with a phone in your hand. You all know that's a $1,000 fine now and lose your license for three years in Oregon. Don't touch your phone when you're in the driver's seat. Okay, so we have a response because there's authority. When a police officer comes to you, there is literally authority between him or her and you. It's the badge. 
It is literally between you. This is not a relationship of equals. This person is in charge in this encounter. And I have to say, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Right? That provokes a response either of fear and timidity and, oh, no, am I doing everything right? Or it's, uh, if they actually pull you over, it's, yes, sir, yes, sir, I'm sorry. You know, those excuses and, and, and total submission. Or for some people, it is anger, fight, resist. They're all corrupt. I hate them all. And there's somebody to, to fight. Some people might think security and safety and thankfulness. And wow, I'm glad they're out patrolling the neighborhood. And I feel so safe when they're around and they're on the highways. And, but regardless of what your personal response is, authority provokes a response. Because it isn't like you're just meeting with your family or your friends or everyday life. When somebody in authority comes in the room, there is a response. And God says in this verse, it must provoke submission. You must automatically defer to every governing authority. Don't let it raise up a fight. Just back down instantly. Okay, this person's in charge. Because we all know that we can obey, which is to do what the authority says, but it's very possible to obey faithfully and still be full of rebellion or anger. Watchman Nee in 1972, a Chinese church leader, writing from prison where he spent the end of his life, I think 20 years. This is how submitted he was to a very, very wicked Chinese government. He says, the obedient need only to obey. God will not hold anyone responsible for mistaken obedience. Rather, he will hold the authority responsible for their error. But insubordination is rebellion, and for this, the one under authority will answer to God. The Christians that lived under the Iron Curtain in the communist days, and still today in North Korea and China and other places, they, it is amazing to hear their heart for honor and submission and love for their own country and their, even their own personal jail guards. Uh, it, it is amazing the way they will do that. And there is a higher calling even for us, even more than obedience, even more than submission, and it is honor. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Fear God and honor the king. Again, thesaurus.com, dictionary.com, we come up with this definition of honor. To hold in high respect, to revere, to praise. Honor is actively expressed admiration. As synonyms are adoration, elevation, exaltation, and reverence. Honor and submission are not the same thing. Submission is, I put myself under your authority And I'm soft and flexible about it. Honor is I lift you up and I praise you and I tell you how great you are. Honor is even a higher calling than submission. Um, It's something we do actively toward the other person. Submission is a hard attitude. Honor is I, I say it. I do it. I give it toward the other person. They're more than love and thankfulness. It would certainly include love and thankfulness, but it's... It's more than that. Again, submission is I put myself under this person's rank. I recognize that they're in charge in this situation and I'm not going to cause trouble. And honor is to lift up the other person. So let's go to Ephesians 6 and look at the verse that I mentioned earlier. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may live long on the earth. Children, obey your parents. And then the other word is honor. So we all know that when you're six, you have to literally obey everything mom and dad say. Genesis and Jesus 
says once you get married, you leave your father and mother. That doesn't mean you leave them physically, and it doesn't mean you leave the relationship. It means you leave their authority. Mom and dad are not in charge anymore. Once you're married, you're your own authority uh, in your own new household. But we have a lifelong command to honor mom and dad. To actively express our admiration for them. That's what honor means. Actively express admiration. Some of you have parents that are very easy to honor. And I know enough of you to know that a lot of you have parents that are not honorable at all. They're extremely difficult people to get along with. And they may be even wicked. God never makes an exception. Not one. Nine times this command is there in the Bible, and never once does he say, uh, except for you. <laughs> yep, your dad is so wicked, he doesn't deserve it. You know, he never makes an exception, and he never says, because he deserves it. God knows your dad and mom, whoever it is, do not deserve honor, but you give it anyway, because it's about your heart and your obedience to him. And when you humble yourself when you come under authority then the authority of jesus comes into your situation and things change you know my story with my dad you know how that worked in my life i have a video here three minutes i want to show you this is lisa bevere those of you who know her know she's great if you don't know who she is uh she's totally trustworthy a wonderful mature awesome woman of god this is her story of how god had her honor her dad who was not at all honorable and what God did because of her obedience. I grew up in an emotionally and physically abusive household. My mother was incredibly emotionally violent and then my father was detached. He was an alcoholic. I never knew what I was gonna come home to. I never knew what he was gonna come home like. You know, what was so amazing is I still wanted a relationship with my father. When I had children, I began to think, maybe now my father will engage. And I remember there was a time period where John and I loaded up our four boys and we drove all the way down to go see my father, knocked on the door, and my father didn't answer. And there was just this little note, and he said, I'm sorry, I changed my mind. I don't want to see you guys. And it was like, God. You know, I feel like I am utterly and completely fatherless. Not because I don't have a father, but because my father doesn't want anything to do with me or with us. He said, your dad has let go of any right to be your father. He said, but baby girl, if you need something, you just call out to me. And at that point, my expectations for my father changed. I was no longer looking for him to be what he couldn't be to me because I was getting that from my heavenly father. A year before my father died, my oldest son and I went and visited him. He was in an alcohol-related dementia center. And I thought, what do I say to this man who is on the edge of eternity? And this is what I heard, tell him he was a good dad. I thought, no, no, I'm not telling somebody on the threshold of death a lie. He was not a good dad. I'm not telling that. And I heard him. Again, the Holy Spirit said, Lisa, he was as good as he knew how to be. Tell him he was a good dad. So I grabbed a hold of my dad's hands and I, I brought him up, you know, between us. So I had full attention and I looked him in the eyes and said, Dad, you were a good dad. 
He began to shake. It was like a thousand volts of electricity shot through that Sicilian man where he's weeping and crying and he formed the only two words. He spoke the entire time we were there. He kissed the back of my hands and he said, thank you. And when he said thank you, my dad wept and cried over my hands and nodded as my son prayed him into eternity. And we put him to bed that night and that was the last time that I ever got to see him. I don't know who it is you're afraid to love. I don't know if it's a father. I don't know if it's a mother. I don't know if it's a brother or, or somebody that violated you. But I'm just going to tell you that you will never, ever regret forgiving other people. None of us deserve the mercy we get. We all deserve judgment. And yet God gives us mercy. So how can we do anything less for others? Be courageous and love and forgive. Isn't that an awesome story? You'll never regret forgiving and loving. It's the word she used. I would say, I, given our topic this morning, I'm talking about honoring also. You won't regret it. So ask the Lord, how can I honor my dad or my mom or both of them or whatever it is that, that you need help figuring out what you could possibly do or say to honor them? God has a way. And when you obey, his authority will come into the situation and change it. Another relationship where God tells us quite a little bit about how to treat our authorities is at work. In Ephesians 6, of course, the Bible doesn't use employer and employee. It uses servant and master, but it applies directly to us. Servants, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey your boss like he's Jesus. Treat your supervisor, or your manager, whatever their title is, treat them like they're Jesus. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not a person. Titus 2, 9 and 10. Be subject to your masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, do not steal from them, show that you can be fully trusted so that in every way you will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. This previous verse said, you treat your supervisor, your manager, your boss, your employer, you treat them like he's, he or she is Jesus. This one says, you act like you're Jesus and treat them accordingly. Yes. You're representing Jesus at work and make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Next scripture is 1 Peter 2, 18 to 20. Servants, so submit yourselves to your masters, not just obey, but submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. It doesn't move God's opinion that you have a bad boss. You may be free to quit and get a new job, but he might tell you to stay and be faithful. I don't know. I'm certainly not here to tell anybody anything. I don't know your situation. But even if you have a bad boss, that doesn't move God's instruction for you. You submit to them anyway. You treat them right. You do what they need done. When I was a school teacher in Elgin, I, I flunked a senior girl two weeks before graduation because she cheated on her. She plagiarized her main research paper in my class. And her grade went from an A to a D. She was still going to graduate, but it ruined her GPA. So her parents called a school board meeting 
just for me. And to make matters worse, the principal was related to the mom. All, you know, Union County being what it is, that's the way it works around here. So I had given this girl a zero. I never, ever gave redos or makeups or anything. Like if you're going to cheat, you get a zero and there isn't any makeup or redo. And everybody knew that. The principal was used to that. The kids were used to that as the way it was. But I ruined this girl's GPA. I didn't. She did. And knowing there was a school board meeting convened on my behalf, uh, I was going to be the, I, don't, I wasn't the guest of honor, I was the subject <laughs> of discussion. Um, I went to my principal and she didn't tell me to do anything. Uh, but I, I got in her office and I got low in front of her desk and I said, if you tell me to change her grade or to let her redo the paper, I will do it. I disagree with that completely. I think that's really wrong, and it teaches her the wrong lesson. But if you tell me to do it, I will. If the school board orders me to do it, I will. But I'm not going to do it unless I'm told to, because it's not right. So and I genuinely meant to be submissive to that. And even if it was wrong, I would have done it. Because after the decision's made, it's not my decision anymore. It's, it's theirs. It's on their head and... I did what I could. I didn't argue. I didn't fight. I wasn't bossy or pushy or resistant. I genuinely wanted to be pliable. I, I, I told my principal, I said, I realize this puts you in a really tough spot uh, being related to this family. And she was actually pretty cool about it. And, and, and in the end, I was not forced to change the grade. So being submissive and honoring doesn't mean that you can't Stand up for what's right or voice your opinion, but we do it in a submissive way. That whatever you decide is, is what I will do. Ephesians 5, 22 and 24. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Wives, you treat your husband like he's Jesus, and you're the church. Same thing happened first service, not a single amen. <laughs> Moving along, 1 Peter 3. <laughs> this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. The Bible says, God says, this is the most beautiful thing a woman can do, is a married woman, to be submissive to her own husband. So you are Sarah's daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Don't be afraid to submit. I want to read to you something from Lisa Bevere, the woman who was just in the video. This is about her and her husband. The one thing I would change in my marriage. Recently, John and I did a joint question and answer session on marriage. As the session closed, this big question came up. After more than 30 years of marriage, is there anything you would have done differently? And this one fell to me to answer, so I took a deep breath and confessed. This is Lisa speaking. I would have allowed John the right to make more mistakes, and I would have loved him more fearlessly. It was as though a ripple traveled through the crowd. From where I sat, I saw men and women hurriedly wiping tears away. There were many deep sighs and silent nods. Fear is the greatest rival of love equal in intensity and deadly in its capacity to corrupt. 
I refused to love John fearlessly because I was afraid. In an attempt to protect myself, I began to reclaim large portions of the real estate of my heart. In the first few years of our marriage, I had learned that John had brought a struggle with porn into our relationship. Forgetting how merciful John had been with me when it came to my past, I pulled away from him. Somehow Jesus' admonishment to forgive as I had been forgiven disappeared. I lived in fear and shamed him as he struggled to get free with little or no support from me. It was not our challenge, it was his. If he didn't change, I didn't have to forgive him. One night, in all my anger and brokenness, I cried out to God, I will forgive him when he changes. As far as I was concerned, all trust was broken between John and me, and I didn't want to be disappointed again. God answered my declaration with a question. Do you trust me, Lisa? Yes. Good. I need you to forgive John so he can change. He even gave me the words to say, I believe you want to change, and I forgive you. This was in stark contrast to my normal script, which read, I will believe you are sorry when you change. This way of thinking was so far removed from anything I had known that I knew it was God leading me. When I extended this unconditional mercy to John, the healing began for both of us. He was able to move out of the darkness of shame and into the light, and he found freedom. And this shift in perspective was a turning point. I could trust the unchangeable God. Fearless love is not based on the performance of the person but on the loving faithfulness of God. When I confess my sins and struggles to God in Jesus' name, I am never shamed. He believes my future will be better. As God is love, love is eternal, love never fails. Nothing entrusted to love is ever lost, and nothing birthed out of love will ever die. But there are some places that love does not grow. Love cannot flourish in the company of its rival, fear. Fear is an ungodly spirit that leads to torment. Fear advises you from its seat in the shadow of doubt, while love draws its wisdom from the light of faith. If you heed the counsel of fear too long, you will fail. Perhaps you've struggled to love those around you despite their shortcomings. If, you, if you're like me, it can sometimes be a struggle to give love until you see change. But I want to encourage you to love before it's deserved or warranted. It is only when we embrace God's fearless, undeserved, unfathomable love for us that we are changed. And it is only when we extend this fearless love to others that we give them room to do the same. It's Lisa Bevere. The more the ugly women of the world march and shout, down with the patriarchy, the louder the beautiful women of the church ought to be shouting, honor and submission. Titus 2 4 and 5 says the older women of the church must train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be obedient to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. The older women have to train the younger women. This tells me that submission is not natural to our flesh and we all know that. It also tells us that love is not all there is to marriage. Romance actually has very little to do with it after the first year or two. The young women don't know that yet, but the older women have learned it, either by success or failure. They should have figured it out by now. You have a command from God to teach the girls how to do it. I realize that this is scary to some of you. It's infuriating to some of you. I know it's really counterintuitive, but everything about the kingdom of God is upside down from the rest of the world. It really is. I realize that what I'm I'm saying is hard. But if I ever start sounding like the world's messenger, you better run from this church. 
if what I say sounds like what the rest of the world says, if, if I turn scripture so that it fits what the rest of the world says, then we're in trouble. You see that I'm not, I'm not telling you anything God didn't say. So wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You are the church and he is Jesus. That's the relationship. So if you wouldn't pout or sass or give the silent treatment or argue or boss Jesus, then you can't do that to your husband. And all of you would say, well, my husband is definitely not Jesus. <laughs> yes. Amen. None of us are. But you are not the pure and spotless bride either. It's a two-way street, folks. It is no easier for him to love you selflessly than it is for you to submit to him selflessly. There's got to be a two-way street of grace and mercy and forgiveness. His assignment is to give up his life for you like he is Jesus and you are the church. And your assignment is to give up your life for him like he is Jesus and you're the church. It's the same thing. It's a two-way street. I want to run down a little side path for those of you who are wives and mothers at the same time. Here, this is not really my topic, but I think the Lord said to include this. If you're a wife and a mother, listen up. The Bible says Eve was created for Adam as a helpmate, and the word helper or helpmate there is the same word as the Holy Spirit's title that Jesus named the Holy Spirit, helper. Sometimes it's translated comforter. It's, the word is paraclete. Uh, it means the one who walks beside. So wives, you're created for your husband in the same way. You have the same ministry as the Holy Spirit. You walk alongside in relationship. You comfort and help. Eve was created as a helpmate for Adam, not the other way around. The New Testament says that woman was created for man and not man for woman. Proverbs says that a wife is a gift to her husband. That she is the crown and full of gold and jewels on his head. Nowhere does it say a woman was created for her children talking to wives and mothers, if you're both at the same time, you're not created for your children. You're created for your husband. What does Eve's name mean? Anybody know enough Bible to know that? What's Eve's name mean? It means mother. Who named her, God or Adam? Adam gave her that identity. God created her for Adam. Adam made her a mother. Inside the marriage relationship, she became a mother. Hello? Yes. The marriage is first, parenting is second. If you put your kids first, your marriage will fail, and then your kids will suffer. Right. Marriage has to be first. In Revelation 2, Jesus tells his bride, the church, the first church he addresses, he says, you're doing everything right. You're full of good works, and everything you believe is true but you've left your first love. You're busy doing a bunch of good stuff. Nothing you're doing is wrong, but you forgot about me. And he calls himself your first love. If Jesus expects that from his bride, then I don't know who I'm talking to. I have no idea who I'm talking to. I'm not here to rebuke or correct anybody. You deal with this between you and God. But wives, there are some of you whose husbands feel like the last priority. And he gets the scraps of your energy and attention at the end of the day. And you're not doing anything wrong. You're full of good works and love and taking care of lots of people. Your husband is first. He's the reason you were created. I'll move right along. <laughs> Next scripture. 
or First Peter 2 again. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Notice again, it doesn't say just obey. It says submit to the government, the governing authorities. That's the president, the police, the governor, the school principal, the building inspector, the sheriff, the IRS, city laws, county laws, state laws, federal laws. Dang, we've got a bunch of laws. And it is so hard because people are so stupid. They're so easy to make fun of. They're so easy to argue with. Submit. Whether you like Trump and hate Obama or liked Obama and hate Trump or you hate both. Submit to every governing authority. Don't cheat on your taxes. Titus 3, some of you need to print this on paper and tape it on the top of your computer monitor or on the back of your phone before you go online. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. I see your Facebook. Some of you are pretty insulting. It's not wrong to stand up for truth in the issues and righteousness and even to campaign for someone, but you don't need to publish those insulting, rude, personally stabbing memes. I understand, I'm not going to name names, but I understand there's some people it's really easy to make fun of because they're just so dumb. But don't speak evil of anyone in the government. Period. They are our authorities. And we are to honor the king. It's fine. Stand up for righteousness. Campaign for life. Campaign against wicked issues and speak the truth and even campaign for somebody. You can even point out how somebody is wrong. But it can be done in a submissive and honoring way. Instead of a rude and stomach-turning way. That turns all your friends off and makes them blank you out on Facebook and they're not seeing what you're posting anyway. Because they just mute you for six months. And you don't even know it. You got 500 friends and you got four likes. People aren't seeing your stuff anyway because you've made yourself obnoxious. I'll just move right along. (laughs) 1 Thessalonians 5. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are over you in the Lord. They work hard among you to give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other and warn those who are unruly. Next one is Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey those who rule over you and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden for that would be of no advantage to you. And lastly is 1 Timothy five seventeen. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. You see the word well there? Those who rule the church well, this is Paul's and God's admission that there's a lot of pastors and elders that don't rule well. And we've all been there. If you've been a Christian more than a couple of years, you've been hurt by somebody in charge in the church. I understand you've lived through some painful situations, and Sarah and I have, and we've had people that were very hard to honor uh, be in charge of the church we were attending at the time. And Unlike most situations, you are free to find a church where you are comfortable and safe and feel like you can trust the leadership. And when you do, you need to dive in and commit. 
Don't let fear keep you from submitting and honoring and fully plugging in. Seriously, if you've been a believer for very long at all, we're all in the same boat. Church is a place to go to get hurt. You know, there are people who are just bad leaders, mostly just clueless or inept, but there are others that are true hypocrites that hide sin or they're in it for some wicked reasons. They are predators or they want control or they want to be a dictator. And we've seen all that and, and lived through it. I hope that you don't attend a church now where any of that is happening. But if you think you are, it's time to move. Uh, a story from Kenneth Hagin, who was a pastor in Oklahoma during the Depression. He said he had a family who was associated with his church that hardly ever came to church. So they were an absolute mess. They were worldly and raw and rough people. And they lived way out on a farm in the wilderness somewhere in Oklahoma. And he said, whenever they had a need, they would always call me and I would go out to their farm and visit them. And when I did, he said, dad would instantly stop working and come over to my car. Mom would come out of the house, you know, wiping her hands on her apron or whatever. And all the kids would run and gather around. The pastor's here, the pastor's here. And, and he said, that they hard, I maybe saw them a couple times a year in church. He said, but every single time I prayed for them, whether it was healing or whatever it is they needed, it happened. And, and he said, I asked God, I said, those people are not really living for you. They're just using you in emergency situations. When they really need desperate help, they call me and I go pray for them. And you answer their prayer. What is that? And he said, God answered his prayer, or God answered his question by pointing out another family in the church. He said, that family was there every time the doors were opened. They volunteered for everything. They served for everything. But he said, but if I went to their house, the radio's blasting, mom's working, doesn't come in, say anything to me. If I knock on the doors, like, come in, doors open. And so dad's sitting there on the couch and, it, it, and the kids are running around playing and, and they're the ones that called me or I know they have a situation and I'm there to love them and take care of them and they pay no attention to me at all. And he said, I'd pray for them. He said, if any single one of my prayers for them ever got answered, he said, I don't know it. Nothing ever happened for them. And he said, God said, that family is very faithful at church, but they are not under your authority, so they don't have any access. The other family honors your authority, so they have all access. I used to tell that story a lot before I was the pastor. It's a very embarrassing one to tell now because I do not want you to flatter me thinking you're going to win points with God. Flattery is fake honor, and I don't want it. Do not kiss up to authority. That is satanic manipulation. If you're kissing up to your boss or your pastor or whoever it is to, to get what you want, that isn't submission or honor at all because submission and honor are selfless. John Bevere was Lisa's husband, the woman on the video, and I just read to you about their marriage. He was a youth pastor in Florida, and he got a word of the Lord to hit a youth group of hundreds of kids, and God told him to divide the youth group up in home groups and have small groups so the kids could know each other and have accountability and and small group time and so he spent a year training up leaders and getting homes lined out to all this stuff and a year of meetings and trainings and all this stuff and at the very end of it, he's ready to go and his pastor comes into a staff meeting and he says God has told me no small group ministry of any sort anywhere in our church and he raises it and he said yeah you mean everybody but me because God told me to do small group ministry and the pastor said nope you can't do it 
And he blew up in front of all the elders and all the other staff. And he went home and he blew up to his wife, Lisa. And she says, well, I guess you get an opportunity to submit here. And uh, he said, I fasted for three days. And I was a pouty fast. I was sure God was going to tell me my pastor was wrong. And he said, at the end of the three-day fast, God told him, he said, John, when you meet me on my throne on Judgment Day, the first thing I judge you for will not be how successful you were in youth ministry, but whether or not you supported the man I gave you to be under. Then we'll talk about your youth ministry. Those of you who were around before I was pastor, you know that the, the pastor here previously was not an easy guy to honor. It was not easy to get along with. He was a hard man. But God told me before I even met him, that I was to be like Aaron and her holding up Moses' hands. I was supposed to support him. And it, I knew my assignment from God was to support him, and so I did. And it wasn't easy. It actually cost me quite a little bit um, at the time. But I was genuinely submitted to him. I went along with decisions that I didn't agree with. But that doesn't mean that I didn't talk to him in private. There was a time he was particularly under attack, really pretty terrible situations. I knew he was majorly stressed out and angry, and I didn't want to add to his troubles. There was something I had to talk to him about. So I I went to his office privately. I got on my knees in front of the desk that is now mine, and I said, Dwayne, I know you're having a really rough time right now, but I have to tell you, please stop doing this and this. And because of him receiving my submitted attitude compared to these other two people that were just hateful and caustic to him, even though they may have been correct in their assessment, he received what I said. And he changed what he was able to. I'm not sure he got it all. I'm not sure he understood what all I meant. But he received it. And our relationship stayed pliable because even though I needed to talk to him I came backed down like Joshua with Moses or Elisha with Elijah or Timothy with Paul being under authority means you have authority yeah so what do we do like in that situation I just told you where the authority is genuinely wrong what do we do do we have to just keep our mouth shut and be little whipped beaten doormat mice No, we don't. You can refuse to sin, but you can still do it with submission and honor. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king says, bow down to the idol. O great king, we will not. It didn't say, you godless, demon-possessed pagan, turn or burn. They didn't dishonor him. They didn't sass him. They didn't badmouth him and slander him in front of everybody. They just said, they gave him the rightful title that he had. And then they said, but even if you kill us, we will not obey. If you're going to defy authority, you better be ready to put your life on the line. Sometimes it is that serious. That's the only time it's really that serious. Um, Daniel. Darius puts him in the lion's den overnight. Darius comes running to the door of the lion's den, and Daniel greets him friendly. Don't worry, king, I'm alive. <laughs> Go back and read the story. He likes Darius. He treats Darius with respect and honor, even friendliness. He, still, he, he refused to do what the edict was, and he knew it might cost him his life, but he didn't dishonor the king. 
Peter and John in the book of Acts. The Sanhedrin says, you will not speak in Jesus' name. And they said, we will speak in Jesus' name. And when Paul one time sasses an authority and gets slapped for it, he apologizes. He said, I'm sorry, I did not realize you were in charge here. Even though what he said was true, he apologized for it. It's in the book of Acts. You can go and read it. You can intercede for authority that's wrong, and even if you know, you don't have to agree with everything. That's not what submission is. Read the story of Abigail with her terrible husband, Nabal, and she goes and intercedes for him while trying to fix what he's messed up. She still intercedes for him to King David. There's Esther. Look at how she approaches her husband, knowing he's going to kill her. I mean, he doesn't know that he's going to kill her because he doesn't know she's a Jewish woman, but he's issued the edict that's going to kill her, and she still comes with tremendous honor and submission. So, yeah, we can tell an authority, no, I can't, I won't cheat, I won't lie for you, I'm not going to steal, or whatever it is that, you know, the authority wants us to sin. Not at all. And a good leader doesn't want you to be micromanaged or dictated. You may not have a good leader in your situation. It's fine. Be submitted. Back down. Let them be what they need to be. But a good leader is going to welcome your input. I don't want passive people who wait for instruction around here. I want people with initiative and responsibility. You see something needs done, you jump in and do it. Hey, I see this isn't getting done. Can I take care of that? I, I would love that. Yes. It would be great. More of that. It would be fantastic. People that own this church and want to help lead it. and Look out for the good of your leader, your boss, your husband, your parents, your pastor, whatever it is, the government agency that you work for. Look out for their good and speak up. Submission doesn't mean you just be quiet, keep your head down, and hope the lawnmower doesn't cut off your blade of grass. You can speak up, but when your boss or your parent or your husband or your pastor or whoever knows that you're doing it in honor and for his or her good, it'll go so much better. You know, I get jumped, not a lot, but sometimes around here after service, or I get ugly emails on a Sunday afternoon. I can't believe you said that. Uh, I get accosted in the parking lot or whatever. It's not often, but it happens. So, I don't know, before Christmas sometime, I got invited to lunch, which I know what that usually means. I could just hear it in the tone of voice. Hey, I want to take you to lunch. There's something I want to talk about. Oh, boy. Well, this one was very different. This guy did want to talk to me about a problem that he saw with me personally and what I'm doing leading the church. And it kind of stung to hear, but it stung because it was true. And I needed to hear it, but, but it hurts and a little bit. But he wasn't certainly not apologetic at all because he wasn't doing anything wrong. But he made very clear that he was coming in submission and honor, but I need to say this. And he actually said that so much it got annoying. Like, okay, just spit it out. Just say it. And, and we, we had our back and forth and, and uh, some of what he said, I received, okay, that's true. Yeah, I need to fix that. I need to not do that again. And some were just going to agree to disagree, and it's fine. It's great. But I so appreciated his input because I'm not perfect. I don't see everything about me, and I don't have it all together, and I need that. So the fact that uh, 
God says, submit to your church leaders. It doesn't mean you can't talk to me and tell me what you see. And what he said that was so wonderful compared to what most everybody else says, is he says, I just don't think this is profitable for you. Oh, yes. Thank you. Because it just, I already knew it, but it proved that he's looking out for me, not for what he wants. You see that? He's trying to help me do a better job rather than trying to resist. If you have a good leader, submission and honor, I hope, you know the light is green unless it's red. Hello? The light is green unless it's red. With a dictator, it's red unless I tell you it's green. You cannot do anything unless I tell you. I want to be the kind of leader that, hey, go for it. Go, go, go with my blessing. Do it. Serve God. Be free. Do. Unless I say, no, that won't work. The goal is, in all of this, to make ourselves the servant of all. This is what it looks like in practical life. This is what it looks like in real life. I make myself the lowest so that I can have the biggest key ring. Hello? I can have access to the throne of God. You can say with the centurion, I am under authority. And so Jesus will say to you, that is seriously impressive faith. I can trust you with my keys. I am under authority, so I have authority. Lord, we repent of rebellion and resistance to the people that you have put over us to take care of us, the people that hired us to do a job or the people that uh, lead in the church or in the family. Lord, we bless and honor our mothers and fathers. We bless our employers, our bosses, supervisors, managers, Lord. We bless our spouses, husbands that you have given over each household, Lord, to lead us into you, Lord. We bless our church leaders, Lord, especially those of the past that have wronged us, Lord. We bring forgiveness and grace there. Lord, forgive us for bad-mouthing the president or the police or the school district or whatever it is we have complained about and bad-mouthed. We repent of all that, Lord. We want to be under authority so that we represent you accurately with graciousness and mercy, with peaceful pliability. Lord, that we would not be a resistance to those who are trying to lead, but be a help and a servant of all. Because we want to represent you because we want your authority We want to walk in the power and holiness of the Holy Spirit. I bless every person here in Jesus' name. Amen.